Hello from the ABA annual meeting in San Francisco, California. I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law. Hello, I'm Laura Rutgers. I am an attorney at Severson and Worson. I'm in the insurance practices group. Hi, Bryant Walker-Smith, University of South Carolina. Hi, Joe. I'm Steve Wu. I'm an attorney at Silicon Valley Law Group in San Jose, California. Great. And we're on the road with the Legal Talk Network. So thanks, everybody, for joining us here on the On the Road, our continuing series of remote broadcasts here from the ABA annual meeting. Today, we're going to talk about driverless cars, or as I like to call it, what's going to fix our commute, uh, probably at the cost of a bunch of other things, but it will definitely fix the thing that annoys me the most. So, hey, how, how bad can that be? So with our accumulated guests here, I kind of wanted to talk about, you had a discussion earlier today at this conference about driverless cars and bunches of issues involving them, I, legal, insurance, etc. So first of all, I guess just recap our audience on what's the deal with these driverless cars we're hearing about. We're going to have driverless cars in upcoming decades. We are in the midst of a transition from manual driving to automated driving with significance of the kind that we had when we moved from the horse and buggy to the car it's going to be that revolutionary in terms of changes in our transportation system. So as we move to driverless cars, we're going to have problems of compliance. Where can I drive my driverless car legally? Liability, what happens when there are accidents? Who's liable? And then questions of information governance, privacy and data security. Well, let's go first to the compliance issue, I suppose. So obviously there's gonna be transition issues. Uh, Someday, I'm sure everything will take driverless cars and there will be no manual, but at least at first, there's going to be some kind of a transition. So how do we how do we govern that? So what we're talking about is a range of different products, different applications. Um, people think driverless car and they have one picture in your head. Picture that and then open your eyes because you're wrong. Um, in fact, there are all kinds of technologies and laws are going to apply to them differently. So early automated systems that we've seen like Tesla's autopilot, those are essentially human assistance. The human still drives. Um, and they get extra assistance from a system. That fits very neatly within our existing regulatory framework, even if it doesn't work very well with us humans as people who are lazy. A response to that is a truly driverless system, which will necessarily be limited in domain initially. It won't go everywhere, but it might go at slow speeds on a particular neighborhood. But for a system like that, there is no identifiable human driver. And that's where some of the existing law gets a little muddy. How do we apply law to an entity that does not exist? Wow. And that I think also would then get into the insurance questions of who is at fault for something if they don't exist. Exactly. I mean, that's the question that carriers are looking at right now. I mean, we look at this technology and and it's sometimes called a disruptive technology because it's going to disrupt how we think about various forms of, you know, things that we have in place already. And insurance is one of those. I like to think of it as more of an evolution than a disruption. But from an insurance carrier perspective... Really, it's those folks that are thinking outside of the box that can predict what's going to happen down the road. They're going to be able to survive the transition. But as you say, we're probably looking at a lot of the insurance policies shifting from individual insurance to maybe more manufacturer um, insurance and things of that nature. 
And when you say manufacturer level, that's interesting because uh, this is a true. This seems like I'm just making this up on the spot because it fits you perfectly, but it is in fact true. On, on my cab ride here from the airport, my cab driver actually went into the subject of driverless cars, and one of the things he was talking about was that he knows people in Silicon Valley who are doing coding and answering moral questions, like if there are two accidents. If an accident is inevitable and there's a bike over here and a minivan over there, like it, choosing to hit the minivan because there's more likelihood of somebody surviving than if you hit the bike and stuff like that. And it strikes me as though that that's, it's in that coding decision that like the liability choice is being made, really. You know? This is one of the hot topics that people are talking about in the question of development of autonomous vehicles. Two weeks ago, we had the Automated Vehicle Symposium put on by the Transportation Research Board of the National Academies, and there was a program on ethics and the law, and talking about the ethics of programming autonomous vehicles, we were talking about this very scenario. Yeah. There's a professor of philosophy in Cal Poly named Patrick Lynn, who has talked about that in his writing. It's been picked up by the popular media, so people are talking about these scenarios that you're talking about. And I've been writing a paper as part of this project to see if there are any legal implications of making a moral decision to try to save more people. And I think the way that I'm, I'm thinking about it right now is if you made a moral decision as a manufacturer to save more people by steering towards one person, I think you would be sued by that one person and probably yeah. lose. And if you let the, the car go and run over a larger group of people, you would be sued and lose that too. So there's this, this no-win situation that it seems like the manufacturers are facing. And I think the only defensible answer to that is to try to avoid all collisions altogether, even though it might risk making it the problem worse. Yeah. Now, 35,000 people are going to die on the roads this year. And none of them are going to die because an automated vehicle needs to choose between who to kill. At some point, if you have a system that's choosing between hitting one group of people and another group of people, you should back up and say, why was the vehicle going so fast in the first place that it had to make that choice? You're absolutely right, though, that value judgments are always embedded in code, are always embedded in design, period. Early airbags protected a average male occupant optimally. That means that they would underprotect someone who was heavy and they could potentially kill someone who was lighter. That was a value judgment. And these do need to be made explicit in every domain. Wow. Yeah, I'd never really considered that, but that's, uh, that's true. Well, what it's more of an evolution than a disruption, but I do wonder, and this may be a little bit beyond what you were talking about, but the there's going to be jobs that have to change and shift. Uh, my cab driver who was talking about it probably wouldn't be a cab driver anymore. Uh, the trucking industry would probably go away or at least be significantly changed. Are there any legal issues surrounding this kind of massive shift in jobs that are being talked about or...? I think that's an interesting point, too, because as you know, in evolution, there are sort of losers and then there are kind of the winners mm -hmm. in that. And so, you know, your point was well taken with respect to truck drivers. That's a huge industry and that's a huge option in a lot of places. And that could be an industry that we're going to be seeing a decline of. So, yeah, I mean, that's inherent in it, I believe. When you look at a map of the states showing the most common occupation in those particular states, truck driver is the top occupation in like 29 states. Yeah. yeah. Automated driving isn't going to happen in a vacuum. Uh, it's not the only technology that's going to displace jobs, and, and this will be a concern for lawyers, too. But driving is such an ordinary experience. Everybody is a traffic expert that 
a lot of the fears and anxieties about these broader transformations could find their target in automated driving. And for a set of technologies that could potentially save a lot of lives, that could be unfortunate if these legitimate fears nonetheless deter real safety gains. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I've thought about driverless vehicles a lot, and I've mm -hmm. been quipping that it's going to make my commute better, but I live in New York. I take a subway anyway. <laughs> but, uh, it, but it also makes me wonder if uh, some of these commuter trains and that, that kind of mass transit infrastructure gets disrupted if cars become safer. Is there a point where it just changes everything about how the government works? When you uh, look at transportation planning, people are looking at driverless cars as supplementing the public transportation system, maybe allowing people to go the last mile between their home and the transportation hub for the public transportation or from that transportation system to their workplace. And Joe, when you get off that subway, wouldn't it be nice if you could then step into the street fairly confident that traffic would not hit you? Well, um, yeah. <laughs> and, and this will be a difficulty for law as automation makes compliance easier. How much do we actually want to comply with the laws on the book? How much should we reform those to account for actual practice? And how much should we use technologies in cars, out of cars to enforce laws that, that are desirable? All right, well, this is very interesting and something that I think we're all going to have to learn to live with in the near future. And it's going to be a lot of work for lawyers in the interim. So at least that's exciting for the profession. So I want to thank all the guests for being here today. This was great. And I want to thank all the rest of you who are listening at home and hope that you've enjoyed this show. If you have enjoyed the show, be sure to review it on iTunes and give it a nice little bounce that helps us all out uh, in getting more exposure to these discussions and these issues to a broader audience. And we'll talk to everyone else on the next episode of On the Road. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook. Or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.